candy shop. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Ask for Candy, where we talk about healing, self-care, love, sex, relationships, and what it takes to be amazing on the daily. Who I am is CandaceHarperLoveCoach.com, and my purpose with this podcast is to create healthy romantic relationships all around the world through self-love, soul connections, and sweetness. And before we get to that, ooh, child, it's hot. I don't know where you are. <laughs> it is hot. It is hot, right, B? I, I don't know where people are in the world. B, I know you're a little bit south of me right now. It is hot where we are. And, you know, that's kind of a good thing because we do talk about, you know, sex and love and sweetness and soul connections. And I feel like that it lends itself, right? We're going we're gonna to let the temperature work for us. So as you guys know, we are now partnered with Solivity Magazine and part of Solivity TV. And from now on, we will be live every Wednesday at 7, whether it's hot, cold, no matter what, we don't care. We're going to be here. You can also watch us at Solivity.com on Solivity TV, or you can subscribe to Solivity TV on YouTube so that you can be alerted every time that we go live. And don't forget to subscribe to our audio broadcast, the podcast, Ask for Candy on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you normally download podcasts. And during the course of this show, you know that I love it when you talk to me, when you make comments, when you interact, when we can have conversations. But I understand that some of you are very shy and you like to keep things a little close to the vest. So you can also email me when you think of things that you might want to talk about, but you don't want to talk about it publicly or on social media. You can email me at askforcandypodcast at gmail.com. And sometimes when you email me, that becomes a topic on the show, or I might talk about it. I might answer the question later, but of of course I will keep you anonymous. So those of you who have been watching know that for almost nine years, I have been a relationship coach, a workshop facilitator, and now a professional matchmaker with Talkify Dating Service. And if you've never heard of it, it's an amazing digital service where you can hire a matchmaker to do all the sifting and the vetting on your behalf. And it's especially great for people who struggle with initiating contact or simply just picking the right partner. Some people just feel like their picker is broken. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I don't know if that's like a Southern phrase that people say that, you know, their picker is just broken. I just don't know what it is. But what we do at Talkify is we help people with stuff like that. We help you train your picker. We help you feel like you can listen to your intuition and your gut and, you know, pick people from a place that is authentic and true for you. And matchmaking and relationship coaching are my zone of genius. And the best part about it is that week to week, I get to grow and learn as I interact with people around the most intimate parts of their lives. I get to meet and nurture new clients. I get to screen possible dating candidates for them. I get to design programs and activities that deepen their ability to get to know each other. And most importantly, I get to be part of what supports healthy beginnings and sustainably healthy relationships. I get to be the cause of self-love, soul connections, and sweetness, which is what we talk about here, right? Amen, honey. You want to say hi to the people, Brian? What's up, everybody? Yeah, it's hot. Brian is Brian is my my voice in the technology. I always say he's my Deus ex machina. For those of you who love Greek tragedies, Brian is the voice. So every now and then he comes in and chimes in, and we love having his input because he is also my married man perspective, which I think is very very valuable. Don't you think so, Brian? Don't you feel like your voice is valuable? Uh, yes, I do believe my <laughs> voice is valuable. Good. You have to. Be- I, will, I will second that. Right. You have to believe it for yourself if nobody else does. Right. It's true. So tonight, I really want you to stick around for the entire show so that you won't miss at the end. I'm going to do matchmaker moments. Tonight, I'm going to tell you all about a featured client. But before we get to all of that, tonight's topic. So, you know, we talk a lot about relationships. We talk about love relationships and romantic relationships are mainly what I focus on. But... You know, everything in our lives is relationship and everything that we have a relationship with is an expression or representation of our relationship with ourselves, not just the relationships we have with with other people, not just our romantic relationships, not just our familial relationships, but our relationships with objects and atmosphere and the things around us, like our relationship with food, 
right? And for anyone who has ever been in a struggling or difficult relationship with food, you know that there is a level of push and pull and power and control and trying to understand, which is similar to any relationship that you might be in, right? There's a level of wanting to learn some sort of skills to actually navigate our way around it. If you've ever struggled with your weight going up and down or, you know, health consequences based on the way you eat or, um, you know, just all the possible things that can happen from the struggle with a relationship with food, you know, you know, there's a, there's a relationship with money. There's a relationship with, um, other people. There's a relationship with career. There's a relationship with everything that we invite into our lives. And those relationships are a product of our relationship with ourself and an expression of our relationship with ourselves. Brian, have you ever had food issues? Do you have like a favorite food that you binge on? Well, it's funny, as you were talking mm. about food, I almost wanted to, I wanted to hear some of that chicken wow wow <laughs> when you got the music in the background. <laughs> it's like, it's like that. Right? Yeah. Um, soul food. Soul oh, food. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yeah. honey. Please. Oh, I mean. Smothered anything. <laughs> anything smothered in gravy, right? Oh, man. Collard greens. Cornbread. Yes. Mac and cheese. And I think that it's good and it's good and healthy when we have like a favorite or like a cultural cuisine that we love. I think there's nothing wrong with any of that. Like we don't want to shame ourselves for loving food. We're humans and we're meant to like we're supposed to love it. We're supposed to enjoy it. You know, eating is something that we're supposed to be able to enjoy. But what we want to get into and you guys who listened a couple weeks ago, Brian, remember we were talking about the difference between coping skills and coping mechanisms. Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the coping mechanisms that I talked about was our addictive things like uh, drink, food, gambling, shopping, all of those things. And it's interesting because this week I did, um, I don't know, those of, those of you who know that I'm studying hypnotherapy right now, I did a whole bunch of hypnotherapy clients this past weekend, and at least half of them brought up their relationship with food and issues around eating. Also, I think because of this pandemic, Brian, has your eating pattern changed since we went um, in lockdown for this pandemic and all of the all the stuff started happening around this? Yeah, it actually oof. early on. Um, it was it got re- really a lot where I was eating a lot during the day. Yeah, and I had to literally like be conscious of, OK, how much am I eating? Yeah. And so I just started to cut back. Uh, with the last, you know, couple of months. But yeah, I noticed I was like gorging on stuff. Yeah. Did you did you do it long enough that you started to see a difference in your body? A little bit. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, shorts and jeans and all that stuff getting a little too tight. Right. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute now. Wait, let me back off off that fork. You start you to know? you start to feel that snugginess. things start to get snuggy right and so that's one thing like you know the eating as a coping mechanism it's it's one of those things where yeah there's the the thing that it could make you fat or it can make you gain some weight and yeah that's that's definitely a thing but then you start to think about you know when we use eating as a coping mechanism the ongoing things are like you know the weight roller coaster the up and down which is hard on your heart and brain fog and depression and psychosis You know, for people who are addicted to sugar, like I consider myself somewhat of a sugar addict. I try not to identify that way anymore. But for so many years, I was like sugar was my drug. And I had certain, you know, foods that were my trigger foods and certain foods that were my, um, you know, emotional fulfillment foods. And it would actually change my personality. (laughs) When I did not have sugar compared to when I did have sugar and how I would feel, you know, I would have that spike right after having the sugar and then come back down and I'd be worse mentally than I was before, whether it was tiredness or angry mood or whatever, the fatigue, the inflammation, the infections, the premature aging, like all that stuff also comes along with not eating so great. Now, this is not a PSA about what you should and should not eat, because you guys all know this. We see this stuff all the time. We see it, you know, everywhere. There's a lot of nutrition programs out there. I'm not a nutritionist. There's a lot of exercise programs out there. I am not an... uh, trainer or an exercise uh, sports specialist or anything like that. I am coming to this from the point of view of, yes, there is a very simple scientific way to eat right and exercise and take care of your body. But why is it that 90% of, 90% of us struggle with it 
especially in times of adversity, whether it's a pandemic or any of the other potential problematic things that can go on in our lives. And what is the seat and the seed of, of what needs to be healed around this food thing? Like, what is it that we really need to be looking at? The diets and the exercise, when you find the ones that are right for you, those are just the tools for actually getting from point A to point B. But if mentally we're not in a place where we're ready to get from point A to point B, it's not, they're not sustainable. Like, and anyone who knows who's tried, you know, a diet for a couple of weeks and then just couldn't do it anymore, or a couple of days even, and couldn't do it anymore, or tried a new exercise program and it only lasted for a little while, or if you're like me and your weight has been up and down your whole adult life because you know how to lose the weight, you know what you're supposed to do, but you know, you let yourself go off the rails for a few months <laughs> and then you got to get back on the horse for, you know, however long, right? And... And ultimately, it's like the idea is that the journey is finding that comfortable relationship with food, just like finding that comfortable relationship with everything else in our lives. And by comfortable, I mean the healthy relationship that is stabilized and is not... Um, is not uh, f affected by the changes in our lives, at least not in any kind of major way, that we can still keep ourselves healthy in a moment of adversity, that even through something like a pandemic, you know, for some of us, we don't know how long we're gonna be in isolation. For some of us, we don't know, you know, if not being in isolation is gonna end up hurting us. There's so much uncertainty in the world right now. So what I wanna talk about is how do I mentally get myself in a place where I can sustainably and consistently take care of myself around something like food when food has been a difficult or a struggle relationship for me. And that's, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. What do you think about that, Brian? I like it. You like, I like it? it? a lot. Yeah. yeah. I feel like there's enough of us out there that it resonates with. And so I really want to want to share from a space of my own experiences with it and what I talk about a lot with clients around it. Because even though we talk about love, even though I'm, you know, helping people find love, helping people figure out communication and, and find conduits to connecting with each other. The food thing comes up a lot because it's one of the safest addictions. It's one of those addictions that people will co-sign with you. Like if you want to eat the whole cake, people might, you know, they might have something to say, but it's not like if you're a heroin addict where you can end up ostracized. If you want to eat everything in the refrigerator, people get that. They understand. <laughs> And so a lot of times when someone's an eater as an addiction, they get a lot of, um, you know, people who will enable a lot of co-signing, a lot of people who will come along for the ride. And it's a very socially accepted way to to deal with things, even if people will sort of, you know, try to shame you a little bit about your weight or whatever. There's a social acceptance to wanting to eat. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets it when you want to indulge. And so I, want, I came up with a list of reasons that I have ever eaten that were, weren't motivated by hunger. Like all the reasons that I think a lot of us eat when we're compulsive eaters or addictive eaters or when we're eating our way through adversity. Um, I came up with, you know, what are the reasons, if I'm honest with myself, for why I was really eating as opposed to actually physiologically being hungry? which is its own thing, that's, that's healthy. Like when we can get in touch with physiological hunger and understand that that's what's going on with us, we can make a lot better choices than, than if we're not in awareness and just eating for all kinds of other reasons. So I thought I, you know, I, thought I would identify what some of those other reasons are. And we could have a conversation. And you guys, if you think of any as well, anybody out there who's ever struggled with food and is okay to like talk about it and admit it, Think of some reasons why you have ever eaten that had nothing to do with hunger. No, Brian, can you hear that? I feel like I can hear myself. Is that feedback? No, that's me. Oh, oh that's you? Okay. That's me. <laughs> I'm going to say I can hear myself at myself. I don't want to hear me. I want everybody else to hear me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, here are some of the reasons that I have ever eaten as a compulsive eater that had nothing to do with hunger. So the first one is just the wanting of instant gratification, wanting to just instantly feel good, get a rush right in the moment. Um... Yeah, like just not wanting to deal with whatever was in front of me, just, you know, wanting the pleasure of it. One of my uh, drugs of choice is the Pillsbury cinnamon rolls in a can, which is the most low rent 
processed crappy food that you can possibly put in your body but it's a it's a drug food it is an absolute drug food it's not something that you know if i'm taking care of myself and loving on myself i would ever eat but in a moment of wanting instant gratification in a moment of being in my addiction i would definitely go for that and i can eat most of it just cook it up in a little iron skillet so um the want of instant gratification number one Second is when there are things that I need to say that I don't want to say. So back to the the gratification thing, there's something about the pleasure of eating something. When you have worries about a conversation you need to have or communication that should be had that you're not having, Um, you know, and anytime you're holding on to something, anytime I've ever been holding on to something, whether it was a, a fear about somebody else's behavior in my life, like a, you know, a relationship in my life, whether it was a romantic relationship or a familial relationship or whatever, something that needed to be cleaned up and discussed and just communicated like adults. But if I had some fear around it, food was, food is always a good, uh, in the moment comfort. Right. So I can just go and do this thing. I have control over it and I don't have to think about the guilt until after. So another thing is to fill an emotional hole. And for those of you who have ever um, not allowed yourselves to grieve about anything or not allowed yourself to feel what you feel. And when I was in moments of not wanting to feel whatever it was I was feeling, And or if there was an emptiness or a story of not being enough or, you know, something was in front of me that I felt was bigger than I was or I was incapable of doing, telling myself a story that I can't do something, then food, food is an easy way to physically feel fullness, right? You stuff yourself and it's a it's artificial fullness, right? You hear that, Brian? I hear you. Uh Uh-huh. And you you feel that Uh one? See that, that, that pecan pie? Yeah. With the ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you decide to eat half of it. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know you ain't supposed to. And it's you so, it. you know you're not supposed to, but the thing too is like, it's so easy to eat large quantities of those kinds of things, not just because they're chemically made to, to make you want to, right. but because when you're eating emotionally and it's not, you're not listening to what your body is saying. You're just, you're just, you know, trying to, to make a, uh, an outcome. You're trying to make a feeling, right? That, that feeling of let me stuff myself until I can't do it anymore. Do you think that the feeling sometimes is connected to maybe even a time and place that you were eating that? Like if you were a kid and, you know, you remember getting like going to the ice cream truck and getting ice cream. And so ice cream becomes your go to when you're trying to feel an emotional hole or get instant gratification. Yeah, I love that you said that because I think that we make a lot of associations when it comes to food, whether negative or positive. I have a friend who actually, she used to say, I'll never eat oatmeal because you know my mom used to make me eat oatmeal. It would make me so mad. And it's the same the other way around. Like I think about you know uh, uh, holiday meals in my house growing up. And my, I, I think I've talked about this before. My older sister always makes fun of me because every time you see a picture of me at a holiday meal, I'm always crying. But my mom was such a good cook. And the, like the desserts that she made were amazing. So that was always sort of the, the, the consolation is that whatever was going on with me, you know, around my family communication, how I felt about my family, whatever dysfunction was happening, I always knew a good meal was coming. So as an adult, I always associated big, huge meals and desserts with, you know, happiness, making yourself feel better, right? Couldn't wait for that dessert. And I definitely think ice cream, ice cream is almost like, I I feel like whoever invented ice cream invented it because they knew that it was going to do that. Like... Ice cream and children and, you know, how many times children get ice cream to make up for something, you know, when they're sad or when they're crying or, you know, just the fun of having it and the joy that that ends up around the eating of ice cream. And I'm not saying that's wrong because, you know, children love ice cream and it's a treat and all of that stuff. But, yeah, I think we very easily make associations when it comes to food from our childhood and what those foods meant in our childhood. And a lot of times, especially... 
adults who aren't always doing the right thing as parents, they use things like treats and rewards in a way that makes us as an adult associate love and happiness with those things. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I was just thinking when you talked about the ice cream, I'm remembering uh, <laughs> it popped in my head was the scene from the Wonder Woman movie where uh, they're about to get on a train or they're bored in the train. Mm-hmm. And uh, the dude gives her some ice cream and she takes just the first time she ever had it. Uh-huh. And she's like, oh, your mother would be so proud. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. I don't remember that part, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, because it was so good to her, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, whoever invented ice cream, goodness gracious, that is a drug right there. I feel like it's like the, what is a, I mean, what is a street drug that's like, you know, ones that they say makes you feel really, really good? I've never done any street drugs, so I don't know what the one, but I feel like ice cream is that high, high level, high value street drug of food. Do you know what I mean? Whether I don't know whether it's crack or meth or whatever. Um, Another reason that I would often eat that had nothing to do with hunger was just wanting to feel some level of of pleasure. So, you know, whatever I'm perceiving around me, I don't like it could be, you know, in response to a negative feeling. But really, it was just like, you know, wanting to have sweetness, wanting to have pleasure, wanting to. you know, just enjoy. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy when you are aware that you're just going to enjoy something and allow yourself that and you don't overindulge in the enjoyment. Like too much of anything, not necessarily so good for you in the long run. It puts you in a cycle of needing to do it over and over again, right? So, um, absolutely. Yeah. We got a quick comment uh, sure. from Sasha on about this, and that was. It's tough uh, eating right during stressful times. She got her hand raised up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's partly about habits and habits. I think our relationships we form with ourselves. Yeah. We have to work on those relationships with self and from there be disciplined. Uh, so thanks for that, Sasha. Really, really good thoughts. Yeah, 100%. And I think, too, the thing about, and I love that you mentioned the word discipline, because I do think that discipline is a big part of it. But I think what helps us and supports us with discipline, because a lot of times we can be very hard on ourselves as well. And so when we're hard on ourselves, it's like we start the shame spiral. And once we're in the shame spiral, then we have to punish ourselves. And the punishment is usually, you know, putting ourselves in, in some sort of guilt Uh, position. So I think, you know, it's partially discipline, but it's also the willingness to nurture and heal whatever it is. So, so, you know, like right now it's hard times. So a lot of people are stressed out and in anxiety, in anxiety. So am I asking myself and looking for possibilities for how I can heal and nurture and love on that anxiety so that I can love myself through it? And allowing myself to feel it because it's natural to feel it rather than trying to stuff it down. Because if I'm trying to stuff down a feeling, trying to force myself to get disciplinary is not going to help me with the feeling. It might help me in the long run if I can force myself long enough to feel better that I'm not doing that anymore. But if I don't actually ever let the feelings come through, at at some point I'm going to go back to the old paradigm, which is what do I do about these feelings that aren't going away, you know? It's almost like we self-medicate with the, with the uh, sugar and, you know, foods that aren't good for us. Yeah. yeah, but I love that you shared that, Sasha. I think you're absolutely right. Finding the healing and then, you know, incorporating that with the discipline. Another reason to eat that has nothing to do with hunger, I'm bored with what I'm doing and who I am. And so times in my life where I was bored with who I was or with what I was doing, Eating was just a good way to, first of all, cooking, because I love to cook. So I would cook and cook a lot and cook in a, in a very um, extravagant way. And so that gave me a little instant gratification of feeling like I am actually doing something. It made me feel momentarily pu- purposeful. And then doing a whole lot of eating also, like I was saying, felt like pleasure and it felt good and it, and it felt you know like living. 
And there's nothing wrong with feeling that living, but you want to be aware, like, what am I distracting myself from that I really, really want to be doing? And so for the longest time, just becoming an entrepreneur, building my business, uh, writing, creating content, whatever it was that I really wanted to be doing, but I was afraid of, and I wasn't doing it. So I was bored with what I was really doing. I wasn't living into who I am, living into my purpose. I wasn't pursuing things that I'm passionate about. So food was a good go-to because I could, I could tell myself I'm doing something creative and then I could eat and feel pleasureful and be in that cycle. So that's another you know, uh, reason to, to eat and overeat that had nothing to do with hunger. And I'm saying all of these because they're all reasons that I gave myself. And if any of them resonate with you out there, it's, it's, just, it's not an opportunity to shame yourself. It's an opportunity to just be in awareness because that's how we change the relationship with food. Like being in awareness of, of what it, right? Of what we're doing with it, why we're doing it, and just being willing to question ourselves in a moment will be the thing that supports us in transforming that relationship into a healthy one. Right. Um, let's see. Another thing that I used to another reason that I used to eat that had nothing to do with hunger. It was the only way that I knew how to connect a lot of times. So if I didn't know how to connect emotionally and I feel like this happens a lot with families, like the whole families that don't know how to connect, do a lot of eating, a lot of big meals. Everything's around food. <laughs> Right. Soul food, the movie. It's soul food, the movie. Like, and that's that movie perfectly illustrates that, right? The way the family breaks down in their communication and stuff. But one thing they always but did they eat every Sunday. Don't every Sunday, that big huge meal until it got to the point where they stopped because the communication had broken right. down so far that even the food wasn't going to get them through. Right. And it was the way for them to get back together, right? And ultimately, yeah, the Sunday dinner. Exactly, it was a way for them to get back together and express having having pushed through what they had been through with each other and get back to center and be able to actually communicate with each other. And that's the thing about it. So you know. Like I said, it's, it all comes down to awareness. Like, do you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship or a big familial relationship or even a friendship that that's what it's all about is getting to the next meal, planning the next meal. And, and that's where the connection is, is around food. And I, I have a friend who, you know, I still consider her a friend, but we were much closer friends for a long period of time. And our whole relationship was around the next meal <laughs> and planning the next meal. And that was the way that we connected. And ultimately, yeah, we had a lot of good and fun times, but was it necessarily good for me healthy, health, health wise and physiologically? No, it wasn't because what I was doing was not connecting with her in a in an emotional way, not connecting her, with her in a sustainable way, but connecting for the moment, having fun and not thinking about the consequences that there was going to be on my body and not connecting with her, you know the way that friends really could what's really possible so all the family dinners the going out to eat and all of that all of that stuff it's not a wrong thing it's just you always want to be aware like are we just doing this and you know you go I go down south where my parents live and you see tons of big old fat families <laughs> and you know that they were at Golden Corral that morning they're going to be at, at um, Cracker Barrel for lunch and then they're going to be at Old Charlie's for dinner <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't forget about pancake houses. Don't forget, right? Pancake houses, International House of Pancakes, the Waffle House, all of them. And I've been to all those restaurants, so I'm not making fun of anybody or anything like that. But when you're in that habitual kind of, and now that we're in the pandemic, I feel like, you know, everybody's at home. So the groceries come from Costco. And every time, you know, the big load of groceries come in, that's what it's all about. Like, let's just deal with all of our anxieties and all our stresses by eating all of this food. And, you know, awareness, just awareness. Like, is this what we're doing? Is there, is there an alternative that we're denying ourselves? Is there some level of connection that we could be having and interaction that doesn't always have to revolve around food and doesn't always have to revolve around using food as our coping mechanism? So another reason that I used to eat when I did not feel hungry was in romantic relationships. If I didn't feel heard, if I didn't feel heard by my partner or, you know, whatever my main relationship was, I was someone who would eat. And by feeling heard, that goes back to the, you know, am I saying the things that need to be said? 
because I have to take responsibility for what I wasn't communicating, but also um, feeling like what I was communicating wasn't heard in the way that I wanted it to be or it wasn't listened to. And rather than figure that out and communicate through that and understand myself and my partner better, I chose to just eat and stuff it down and pretend like it wasn't what it was. So, yeah, there's that. What about you, Brian? Do you feel like you have any um, any other reasons to eat that have nothing to do with, with actually being hungry? Um, you know, you talked about the whole soul food kind of thing. Sometimes I'll, I'll uh, eat to reminisce. Mm. You know, like, I guess it, it relates to the whole... Uh, I won't say it's emotional whole. It's more like... You know, to connect. Yeah. I think that, that when you're talking about like to connect to some of those old times, like especially like so, you know, yeah. like that, eating that food sometimes uh, reminds me of like my grand my grandparents and you know those kind of times where you know she would cook uh, regardless of she would have food ready for us regardless of what time we arrived at her house. Wow. So you know, back in the day when you go, you know, you drive someplace you leave like late at night yeah right? yeah you get there either early in the morning or 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 that kind of deal and it could be we could get there at midnight or two in the morning and the first thing out of her mouth was y'all yeah. y'all, y'all hungry yeah right <laughs> you have some stuff ready and you go and i, I just heat it up yeah I love that you said that, too, because, you know, you're talking about nostalgia eating, which I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that that's that's great, you know, in perspective. And also, you know, generations of our culture, I feel like that's how we loved each other. So, you know, like a, a, like my grandma was I mean, she, my grandma wasn't much of a cook, but, you know, food was always a conversation. And so I think that and the reason my mom was such a good cook and that food often becomes the thing in families is because for generations, especially culturally in our in our culture, um, that's how we could love each other. Right. It's making sure everybody ate. Right. And so right. a full refrigerator. Yeah. A full refrigerator was a big way to be able to love your family when you come from, you know, generations of oppression or, <laughs> you know, dealing what we've dealt with socially in this country. Mm-hmm. And and that's not to say other cultures don't do it. I mean, I have Italian friends. I grew up in an Italian neighborhood and I have Italian close friends. And you can tell like the, the food is the love and it's the expression of the love. And it's not to make it wrong. But when you're dealing with weight issues or you're dealing with trying to have a healthy relationship with food, it's very hard to discern the difference between, you know, overeating and actually loving yourself. Mm. Right. It's really hard to make that distinction. And so it's not to say don't don't feel the love when you enjoy good food or don't enjoy good food with your family, but make the distinction. Am I overeating? Because what I really need is actual love. What I really need is the, is the actuality of emotional connection. What I really need is to be able to have a conversation with somebody and connect with them on that level. But because food feels like love to me, I'm having food instead. Right. It's just an invitation for for how to how to make it a healthier experience and still be able to enjoy all that we want to enjoy. So another reason that I would um, eat, even though I wasn't hungry, is that I didn't feel deserving of what I would have if, it, if I didn't depend on food emotionally. So if I didn't depend on food emotionally for many years, I'd, you know, healthier weight, healthier body, more energy, you know, which I have now. Like, you know, when I want the weight to come off, the weight comes off. Like, there was a time where I didn't feel deserving of having that. And that, that meant you know, that I was going to be able to do all of the things that I wanted to do, all the things I was afraid that maybe I wasn't good enough for, right? If I was able to, um, you know, be eating healthy and taking good care of myself, I was going to be able to be as big as I wanted to be uh, metaphorically, not physically, <laughs> right? But, you know, food um, and over the overeating and and eating because I didn't feel that I could, like I deserved it. Not consciously, though. It's not like when you're doing that, you know that's what you're doing. 
But when you don't understand that you deserve to be as big in the world and as amazing in the world as you want to be, when you don't understand that you deserve full self-expression, you guys can hear the, the dog is, is uh, panting underneath the desk. There's nothing weird going on. <laughs> but when you, don't, when you don't know that you deserve full self-expression and you don't know that you deserve to be a, as big in the world as you want to be metaphorically, uh, a lot of times food and eating of food is a, a good way to keep ourselves safe from being physically able to do all of the things we say we want to do and safe from being mentally able to do all of those things. And by safe, I mean like a, a false safety because we're afraid of it. We're afraid of, of how big we can be and we feel like we, we don't deserve it. Mm. Right. Um, another reason to protect myself from dealing with the past. So when I didn't know how to deal with things from the past, whether it be resentments or feelings that I had about relationships that broke down, or, you know, I feel like for us as adults, we all have to go through that chrysalis of understanding and forgiving our parents and loving our parents um, in a way that is, is not just because they told us to. <laughs> you know that difference? Between, you know, trying to trying to talk to them right and respect them and love them because they told you to, which I think is a very young adult thing. And then going through a chrysalis where you actually understand where they were coming from and what they truly meant and the value of them. And um, for a long time, I had to pr protect myself from dealing with that and going through that chrysalis because I had a story, you know, and my book that's coming out is about my relationship with my mother, but with both of my parents, I had a story of loving them, respecting them, but having so much anger and resentment for things that I felt like, you know, I, I felt like I was shorted. And I think a lot of times as young adults, we think that we were shorted. And sometimes that goes well into middle age you know, where we think our parents weren't good enough, we got the short end of the stick. And that's not to invalidate anybody's experience because there are some parents out there who are horrific. There's, you know, parents who are drug addicts, abandoners, and all of that stuff. But part of our life's journey, our life's chrysalis, is to, to transform from that needing for them to have been anything but who they were, no matter who they were. And so that's a hard transformation sometimes to go through because it requires a lot of forgiveness, a lot of facing of things that we may not want to face, and a lot of taking on of responsibility for what our experience is now. I can remember doing things to sabotage myself and blaming my mother. My mother was, you know, a thousand miles away <laughs> or blaming my father and he was a thousand miles away. It, you know, as a young adult, but I had to learn that that's a responsibility I needed to take on. But in avoiding that responsibility, I would sabotage myself and I would sabotage myself with food. And I could tell myself, well, I, you know, let me just eat this because I, I just, I feel angry. I don't feel good right now. I'm mad. I just got off the phone with my mother and we had conflict. So I get to eat this whole cake, you know? So for anybody out there who's, who is going through a chrysalis, like that or, or getting to their understanding of, you know, how do I decide who I am and choose who I am in the midst of, of trying to understand where I came from and going through those kinds of changes. If you're using food as the crutch or as the, as the thing to protect you from actually dealing with the past because the emotional changes it takes you through, it's something to look at. It's something to look at to support you in your actual transformation. Um, another thing that I used to, another reason that I used to eat that had nothing to do with hu hunger, I, I, the reason I would eat is because I, I needed something to stand in my way, yes, because I talked about that before, but I might have to do things like leave a bad relationship. So I was in a very abusive relationship for about four years, and I ate myself to oblivion. <laughs> And a lot of that was if I started really taking care of myself and loving myself, I knew something within me knew. I didn't know it consciously, but something within me knew that I was going to have to make the steps to leave that relationship, to get out of it, which meant I was going to have to be really super strong. But as long as I stayed in my addiction, which a lot of times we do, and, and you know, whether it, whatever you might be addicted to, even if it's not food, then I didn't have to make any major moves. I could just keep placating myself and comforting myself with with the food. I know these are getting deeper, Brian. I hear you getting quieter and quieter. 
once Brian starts to get quiet, I'm saying oh. some crazy stuff. <laughs> No, you know, it's, it's, but it's true. I mean, um, um, where, like, I, I, you know, this one specifically where, you know, food becomes something similar to alcohol or tobacco or, or other Drugs or even you know legal drugs or prescription drugs or whatever it becomes that addictive kind of thing where you're avoiding making a tough decision yeah. to that where is contrary to where you think you want to be. You were talking about a relationship, like you know, if this person would only do this, then everything would be fine. Yeah. So instead, but the, all the signs are saying that this person is telling you exactly where they are. Yeah. And they're not going to change. But you eat to try to avoid making the tough decision, which is to leave. Totally. Totally. You get in your cycle. You get in your, that cycle of addiction, that physiological, okay, so let me just make myself feel better so I can keep enduring in it. Right? But it's important. I mean, People need to, all of you, you need to understand this. Yeah. You know, Candy, I thank you for being real. Oh, thank you, honey. I appreciate that. Another one on the other side of it, though, is that, you know, as a single person, the overeating, I might have to get into a healthy relationship if I don't stop overeating. So that's another thing. I think a lot of times we say we want something and then we think about the prospect of what it would take to actually do it. And what what it would take to get into a healthy relationship would mean that I'd have to be healthy. Right. And so <laughs> we started, which would include not eating, which would include not, you know, not at least not eating in, a, in an obsessive way or not eating in an addictive <laughs> way. Right. So that, you know, that's another reason to eat w- when you're not hungry is like a, that avoidance, avoidance of that health and not understanding, des- you know, deserve level comes in with that one as well. Like not understanding I deserve to be in a healthy relationship. I deserve to be in a healthy relationship with myself. And I have to talk a little bit about the fat positive positivity movement, because in as much as I am all about self-love and I believe that, that no matter where you're at, no matter what size your body is, no matter where you're at physiologically or physically, you 100% should love yourself. But I do want to make a big distinction between what loving yourself really shows up as in a real way. So, you know, I can be, uh, you know, a couple hundred pounds overweight and I absolutely 100% can love myself. And, you know, there's a, uh, one way of loving myself, which is that I feed myself things that, that will give me longevity, that will give me health, that will help me to have more energy, help me to do the things that I want to do. And I actually take care of my body. I sleep enough. I make sure my body gets exercise. Scientifically, I understand that my body needs certain things. And if I love it, I will love it. And so th- that extra couple hundred of pounds will co- come off on its own unless there's some sort of illness, right? That if I'm, if my focus is on really loving myself, I don't have to beat myself up for being fat. I just have to say, you know what? I'm going to do the things that align with what it means to love myself. But then there's that other side of what people think loving themselves is, which is I express it to everyone else and I, and I make myself a show about it. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, and I know I'm walking a very fine line here. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with walk being, on, walk on. I'm going to walk on. There's nothing wrong with, with feeling proud of your body, uh, no matter what size it is. But there's also, um, having an understanding that loving yourself is not carelessly putting anything you want into your body and then, and then shouting out, I love myself. And so you should appreciate it too. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? So, you know, that, yeah. And that's not to shame anybody or wrong make anybody because I I feel like we're all deserving of love and we're definitely all deserving of self-love, but we want to be making distinctions about what things really are. Narcissistic self-love is love me, love me, love me, look at me, love me, look at me, look at how I am, accept how I am. You need to accept how I am. That's a narcissistic loving of myself. 
Yeah. What's that? 45. 45, right? That's all I'm going to say on that. Yeah, right? <laughs> but a genuine loving of myself is I do the things I know I need to do in order to take care of my body in the most optimal way. And whatever is the best version of my body that comes from that, I love that as well. It doesn't have to look like some magazine version of what a body's supposed to look like, but it does... Um, our bodies do express the best of how we treat them at any given moment. And so if, if you want to be an expression of your, of your love for yourself, then let it be a genuine, my body is a temple. I love it. I take care of it. I give it enough rest. I give it nutrition. I give it exercise and I do it on a regular basis without beating myself up, without making myself wrong, without, you know, all that other stuff. And I know that that's a practice. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's important to make that distinction. And there's so many young women that I just, you know, I want to sit down and talk to and have that conversation with, because I know that, you know, the, the body positivity movement is a big thing. And I, I think it's important, but I think sometimes things get a little great and confused. Um, that's on that. I didn't even mean to go off on that tangent because as always, the hour is going by so quickly. <laughs> So, you know, like I was saying earlier, um, like all the other coping mechanisms, food is just a tool. It's a tool that we use to avoid the deep level mental healing that is either too terrifying to face or it just hasn't been identified. A lot of times it's just about identifying what's truly going on with me every time I want to sit down and eat that whole cake. What is really happening? What do I really need to process? How do I really let myself do that? And so how do we overcome that so that we can do whatever, you know, exercise program we want to do or, or whatever, let's say you decide to run a marathon or learn how to, you know, dance on point or whatever it is. How do we overcome the mental blocks, the mental um, challenges that come up with the stuff that's unhealed? How do I generate the, the um, emotional healing? I'll tell you how I generated the emotional healing that made me want to create a good relationship with food. And there's three things. Number one, I made the choice to find the problems. What, what is really going on with me? I had to ask that question of myself. Like, what is it? Why am I so stressed that I got to keep eating? Why am I so lonely that I got to keep eating? Why am I so angry? You know, I had to be real with myself about what those things are. And even now I have to be real with myself if they come up so that I can heal them. And by problems, I also mean things that I was believing that were hurting me. A lot of times we think it's something outside of us that's hurting us. It's what we believe about what's outside of us that's hurting us. So like I was talking about, you know, the transformation, the chrysalis that happens around our parents. I had beliefs about my parents and, how, and who my parents were supposed to be that caused me to have resentments. I had to own that I had those beliefs. I had to heal those beliefs. I couldn't wait for my parents to heal those beliefs because that's not their job that's not anybody's job you have to you know the idea is that we have to heal ourselves and find those things and do what needs to be done in order to make them better so the past resentments the self-limits the self-limiting beliefs the things that were going through my mind and the overthinking that I had to identify it so that I could you know take the steps to heal it number two I had to learn to treat myself like a little kid who was learning and, and I had to nurture myself through the changes in the chrysalis. You have to be willing to drop the, that inner dialogue that, you know, that's so wrong-making and shaming of ourselves, especially when it comes to food addiction. You know, food addiction, there's so much shame around it. And if you're one of those people who hides the food that you eat, and I definitely used to be one of those people because I didn't want people to know how much of certain foods that I was eating at different times in my life, you know that hiding is shame, especially if you're a grown ass person who paid for your own food and you're somewhere hiding and eating it. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of shame around that. So, you know, you want to like look at that shame story and how you're making yourself wrong about it and be willing to nurture and love. That's that little kid that's in you and nurture and love on that little kid, right? Nurture and love on yourself as you are going through change and transformation and trying to make yourself better or, you know, on whatever level you want to be on. And number three, I had to um, start a self-care practice that changed the synapses in my brain. So I had to go from automatically beating myself up for things or having a hair trigger reaction, having hair trigger anger. I had to go from that 
to automatically giving myself love, to automatically overflowing with love onto things that normally I would be ready to fight and start throwing hands, not literally, but metaphorically, emotionally. So that required a self-care practice and a self-love practice that would change the way my brain connected because it's our animal brain that has us have that like, okay, I got instant gratification. Give me something quick. Give me something quick because my emotions are high. What do I need? Oh, give me that big old hunk of chocolate cake. Or give me, you know, whatever that might be that, that you may or may not be using to um, gratify the feelings and negative emotions and things that come up. A regular daily practice of caring for yourself and whether it's meditation, there's a lot of different methods for that. Um, that is going to be the thing that helps you reconnect those beliefs, those brain synapses that put you on autopilot. So that autopilot becomes something, a way to react that actually works for you and takes care of yourself. So what is the biggest takeaway? You know what, Brian? I just realized I didn't do a commercial break. I just fire hosed. You know, I like I like though. you did. You did it in commercial break. We're OK. OK, good. <laughs> OK, good. Everybody out there, we didn't need to do it, right? You didn't need to do it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but the biggest takeaway, I think, with all of this uh, that I had to learn. So loving myself didn't mean some outward display of look at me like I was talking about. Um, you know, being able to walk around and and have a facade of and even in times when I did feel like I looked cute, but that facade of I look cute. So I'm you know, I feel good about myself. I'm walking around proud of of what you see on the outside. So I feel good about myself and not really looking at what was going on the inside. I had to understand that loving myself, that's that's not what it was. And that's not what that wasn't going to be the um, ultimate goal. I had to understand that loving myself is knowing that I didn't have to settle and I don't have to settle for anything that doesn't support all of my earthly desires. So in knowing that, that I don't have to settle for anything that doesn't support all of my earthly desires. So my earthly desires, my deep down, what I know in my heart is to be someone who is a messenger of goodwill and self-love. My earthly desire is to widen that message as, as big as I can make it. My earthly desire is to walk around free with financial freedom, with uh, physical freedom, um, to be loving and to be loved. And so anything that doesn't support that, I don't have to settle for it. Huh. Doesn't mean that I can't enjoy it sometimes if I want to, but if it's a detriment, to those big desires, those deep down things that I know that I want for myself in the world, I have to know that in, in loving myself, I do not have to settle for it. So if it's not optimal health, if it's not unconditional love, if it's not joy without consequences, I don't have to give it my time and you don't have to give it your time. So I just wanted to share that with you guys tonight. That's what I want to be your takeaway. You do not have to settle for anything that doesn't support exactly what your earthly desire is here on this on this earth, in this time that we're in this in this life. And you have to know that you are 100% enough for all of it. That's why you have those desires. And that's it. For our little food topic tonight, Brian, what do you think? Do we have any? I saw that Candace was commenting earlier. What she, she said, her her thing is cheese. Ch Candace said her thing was cheese. <laughs> she said, give, me, she said, give me a block of cheddar, yes, please. <laughs> I hear that. I love me some cheese as well too. So yeah, you know, did anything else come up for you, Brian, that you were thinking about along those lines? Being enough. Uh, I and, love. I love that take. I love the big takeaway. Yeah. You know? Don't settle for anything that doesn't support your earthly desires. I right. Mean, mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's again, there's a difference between like, you know, using food as an addictive substance as as opposed to something for nourishment, healthy nourishment. Yeah. And enjoyment. But a discerning enjoyment, right? Yeah. You know, a nice glass of wine or a, a moderate slice of your favorite dessert yeah. or whatever. You know, I mean, there's, and we know. Yeah. You, you, you know, when you're, when you're aware, you know 
when you're on what side of the road you're on yeah when it comes to that so just i guess you know the uh, for me i think i took away that that it's okay to admit to yourself that you're doing it for reasons that are not healthy yeah uh and that you can surrender to what's going what's behind that and yeah. get support to deal with that if you need to absolutely Absolutely. And it's just about being able to to make the discernment, because if I understand that I'm worthy and I'm enough for everything that I say that I want in the world, then I also understand, like I said, that I don't have to settle for anything less than that. And if I am settling and I'm doing it in a in a um, in a a, uh, cognizant and responsible way, then I know that, you know, I know how to moderate without just trying to put set parameters on myself. It's just I know that I, I don't have to c- consistently settle. I can I can do the things that actually support what I want and who I need to be and who I want to be. Damn straight. Yes, yes. I want to do matchmaker moments. I know that we're like we're right on the on the on the cusp, huh? You want to do matchmaker moments? Yeah. Yeah, we got to Yeah, let's do some matchmaker moments. You guys right. ready? Yeah, we got a little intro for matchmaker moments. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Matchmaker Moments is all you. Oh, okay. This week on Matchmaker Moments, I'm going to feature a client. I'm getting a whole new influx of clients. I got all kinds of clients, everybody. I got old. I got young. I got in the middle. I got South Asian. I got LGBTQ. I got POC. I got all kinds of people who are fantastic from all over. I won't say all over the world. We're mainly in the U.S. right now, but in all the major cities. So I wanted to feature a client tonight, Sexy Mama from New York City. She works in finance and she is making that cash, honey. She is making that cash money. She's only 33. She has rocked her career. And now she is ready to focus on creating a fabulous family life with an equal partner. So NYC gentlemen who are in your early 30s, if you are out of that analysis paralysis stage that so many New York singles go through because there's just so much to choose from in the Big Apple and you're ready to like have your shit together and scoop up a wife and and or wife shop which i think a lot of gentlemen do (laughs) hit me up if you're between 30 and 40 and you're crystal clear about your ultimate intentions and you want to talk about what's possible with this this client she's a no nonsense no bs kind of girl but she's not you know over the top she's not like you'd see in, a, in rom-coms you know like sandra bullock in that movie where she's like she can't even be intimate <laughs> because you know women women who have power they can't also be intimate and sweet <laughs> they have to be like a super bitch if they're powerful you know yeah no she's not that trope she actually has facets to her personality she's a very very sweet woman and she's also very powerful and she's making that that money honey So if you think you might be a great match or if you know someone who might be a great match, just email me, askforcandypodcast at gmail.com and say, I want to be matched. And you can tell me which show you were listening to. And yeah, thank you so much. So Liberty Magazine, Passion, Purpose, Living. Brian, tell us what's happening right now. What is happening right now? Well, we got some shows coming up this week. Oh, nice. Um, Let's see. Tomorrow, of course, Body Fit at 9 a.m., mm. as always. Yes. But there is an incredible show for Consencias Con Cocktails with Javier Pedroza coming up on Thursday at 6. He's going to have mayoral um, candidate uh, Diane uh, Morales on. Oh. So you do not want to miss that. And, and some other great guests. Um, D'Angelo Thompson is Yay, back my D'Angelo. on Friday uh, with his show Beauty and Gratitude. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Johnson and mm-hmm. other incredible folks are going to be on that. So that's eight o'clock on uh, on Friday. Yeah. And then now uh, you know what's coming up on Saturday. What's coming up on Saturday? Do I know what's coming up on Saturday? Solivity Live. Solivity Live. It's the pack, the Solivity Pack getting back together. Yes, I almost forgot about it. Yes, honey. Um, D'Angelo Thompson, Candace, you're going to be on there. Yes, Francesca. Francesca. We're going to be talking. 
Getting the old it's gang be, together. It's gonna be damn near an open forum. I love it. Mm-hmm. So you don't, everybody don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. 100%. How could I forget it. about that? I'm excited. We're getting the old gang back together. Oh, yeah. Right? <laughs> also, every Monday night, everybody, you know I'm doing the Epic Circle, an online healing circle for women everywhere. And we as women come together as a community. We will be causing personal transformation when it comes to communication, forgiveness, self-love, mother-daughter relationships, purpose, friendships, just all the tools we need to be as big as we were meant to be. So you can find us on Eventbrite or Meetup. You can join the Meetup, the Epic Circle. Uh, the Instagrams are at Ask for Candy Podcast, at Candy Love Coach, and at Solivity Magazine. So where are we at, Brian? Should I go ahead and, and give them the big sign off and tell them I love them? I know. It's, it's parting is such sweet sorrow, but we got to go. I know. I hate it when it's over. I hate <laughs> This hour goes by so fast. So shout out to the Ask for Candy Podcast group. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and subscribe to Celebrity TV YouTube cha- channel. Email me, Ask for Candy Podcast at Gmail. And until next time, never forget that you are a love machine. And if you ever start to feel like you aren't getting the love you need, just make more and ask for candy. I love you. Bye now. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.